0: Welcome, everyone, to Roger's List. This is the podcast where we are watching every single one of Roger Ebert's great movies. My name is Steve Gutley, and I want another cup of coffee. And joining me today, the, uh, the beanstalk to my sweet Sue, it's Lindsay Pennington. How you doing, Lindsay? Why isn't
1: it the other way around? Because you're a beanstalk. Okay, so I'm I'm really the one in charge, right? I'm the one in charge then, because Beanstalk's in charge, right?
0: Beanstalk's more of like a Lady Macbeth kind of figure. He's He's, the power behind the power. He's the manager, I suspect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Welcome back, (laughs) Lindsay's back, uh, returning from our uh, uh, My Fair Lady episode a couple weeks ago. Always happy to have you here. Today we are going to be discussing the movie Some Like It Hot. This movie was uh, released March 29th, 1959. It's directed by Billy Wilder and it is starring Marilyn Monroe, Tony Curtis, Jack Lemmon, George Raft, Nehemia Persoff, and Joe E. Brown. And you can find this pretty much everywhere. You're going to have to rent it, but uh, at the moment, you can rent it off of Amazon or Vudu or anywhere you, get or you can movies. Or you
1: can buy it on DVD.
0: You can buy it because on DVD. And then
1: you can watch it whenever you want.
0: It's true. I did that, and I don't regret it. There's also a Criterion Collection version out of it right now, so uh, go get that. But, Lindsay, why did you want to talk about Some Like It Hot?
1: Um, I've always really enjoyed this movie, and honestly, I think the very first time I watched it, I thought it was a musical. Hmm. Like, I didn't know anything about this movie going into it.
0: Oh, really? That must have been fun. I
1: was like, I think I maybe had watched another Marilyn Monroe movie and I was like, oh, I like that one. Let's try this one. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I mean, I'm excited to be getting into this both because, I mean, we've this is the second time we've talked about Billy Wilder on this show, which I'm excited about. Go back and listen to our Ace in the Hole episode from a couple weeks ago if you want to hear that. Uh, but you know that, uh, Billy Wilder, one of my very favorite filmmakers, he directed my very favorite movie of all time, which is The Apartment. We'll talk about that at a later Wait, date. Wait, I thought
1: it was Jaws.
0: It is not. You know, it's, it's reverted. It okay. was Jaws. Sometimes <laughs> it goes around. Jaws is still way up there, but I think it is The Apartment.
1: Oh no. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. It's been changed. It's been changed. So, um, we've discussed him a little bit before and this is probably his best known, his most successful uh, his most kind of beloved movie, I would say, right? Like, would you say, yeah, I would say this is probably his most popular film. And a lot of that is kind of built off of Marilyn Monroe. This gives us the first real opportunity and really the only good opportunity we're going to get to talk about Marilyn Monroe on this show.
1: Yeah. Because uh, otherwise he did the seven year itch with her. Yeah. Before
0: that was before this. And that's, that's a perfectly fun movie, but it's probably not great movie material i don't know maybe I, don't, I don't
1: think i've actually seen that one i've seen how to marry a millionaire and mm-hmm. the lee um gentlemen prefer blondes right i haven't yeah. seen the seven year
0: Itch. seven year Itch is fun that's the one with the iconic uh her standing on the great thing you know which is uh which is a classic Well, both moment. of us
1: mimic it in our we chairs we both did it yeah we're both <laughs> sitting here going like Ooh, boop boopy boop, doop yep yeah we got pants on
0: we do have <laughs> pants on we do, people out there be assured we have pants on yeah, but uh, this is definitely... This is often recognized as one of the great comedies of all time. And this is definitely Billy Wilder at the height of his powers. He's firing at all cylinders. And it's he eked one of the most iconic performances from a female uh, lead of the 20th century, I think, out of this movie. Yeah, but... But as light and fun <laughs> as it is, it was a very difficult, troubled production yeah. for a lot of reasons. And it was also... Kind of the start of her. I think
1: decline. it was mainly one reason, and that was her.
0: It was her. It was her, and it was uh, yeah. Well, let's let's get into that a little bit. Firstly, I want to talk a little bit about Wilder and the writer of this movie, I A L Diamond. He was a uh, Moldovan refugee. He and Wilder worked together on a total of twelve movies. Yeah. This is their second one, and they just had an incredibly long and fruitful uh, relationship. And in addition to this, they got an Oscar nomination for this. Uh, They won for The Apartment, and they got another nomination for The Fortune Cookie a couple years after this. Uh, So really, really accomplished pair of of writers. Like they worked on uh, Love in the Afternoon and uh, uh, Irma LaDuce and a couple of other classic Billy Wilder movies. So it's noteworthy that I.A.L. Diamond is coming into the mix here Um, because he's a cool dude. The other thing I want to talk about is the Hayes Code a little bit, because this is sometimes credited as the movie that killed the Hayes Code. Do you know much about the Hayes I Code? I don't.
1: What is that? So
0: the Hayes Code was initiated by William Hayes, who was a former postmaster general in the 1930s. And basically, it's like a non-official but rigorously adhered to censor- censorship system Okay. that was kept in place. It had a lot of like really strict items some things that you'd expect and then some that are a little more esoteric like obviously it has strictures against um sex violence drugs profanity things like that but there are also weirdo things like you weren't allowed to show a married couple sharing a bed you couldn't depict a toilet on screen uh you couldn't have anything disrespecting the flag the clergy or uh law enforcement uh it's kind of the reason why a lot of why people think about movies from the 20s, 30s, and 40s as a little sanitized. But compared to today's standards, it's because they were all kind of adhering to this loose confederation of codes that was saying what you could do. But by 1959, when this movie came out, it was having less and less power, and filmmakers were starting to venture a little bit more out into uh, uh, some more risque territory. Yeah. And this movie. Was not even submitted for the Hayes to the Hayes Code for approval, which is normally something you would require. I at it's like it's like the MPAA today. Like they don't really have any kind of legal boundaries for what they're doing, but we still adhere to their structures, and we submit movies to them because it you don't you can't really get distribution without a rating anymore. okay? So that's kind of what this era was. And by th- this film becoming a huge box office success, despite not having any kind of approval from the Hayes Code, was kind of the final nail in the coffin for it. It's kind of, it, it neutered it pretty severely.
1: Well, okay, and so despite it not going through to that, other than what you listed, um, violence would be the only thing, and it was pretty minor on the violence.
0: The Was the-
1: it... The cross-dressing?
0: It was the cross-dressing. Oh, it was the cross-dressing. Okay. It was some of the outfits that Marilyn's wearing in this one. and She
1: has some pretty, pretty risque outfits. Pretty I will say that.
0: some it's, it's not so much as a low neckline as it is a high belly they're button sheer,
1: line. They're sheer. Well, they're super sheer. They're super clingy. And she's not wearing a bra, and there's very, very low backs. Yes. And that was a big thing back then. Yeah. Low backs.
0: Yeah, for yeah. For
1: some reason.
0: No, I mean, she looks incredible in this movie, but... And she's pregnant. But there was... Yeah, she is. She's pregnant during the filming of this. But there's also... Uh, you know, this... For a movie with so much cross-dressing, there's not a lot of direct references to homosexuality, but I think the the relationship between Daphne and Osgood uh, raised some eyebrows, Uh I don't know. It's interesting okay. the way they kind of tap dance around some of this content, uh which we'll talk about. In general, I think this movie has aged well. Like, yeah, I, I wasn't cringing at any of the content here.
1: I didn't realize that there had been a scene cut until I watched uh, a BBC special last night from, like, early 2000s. Oh, I didn't know about this. Um, so there was 60 seconds cut from the movie because of distributors were telling them that as a farce it was too long.
0: Oh, okay. Uh,
1: they're like nothing is longer than an hour and 40 minutes and I think this is like an hour and 50. It's so, it's
0: actually a little over 2 hours. It is. Okay. Over, yeah, cuz this breaks my rule. Usually I say like no comedy should ever be over 2 hours, mm. but this this is barely over eight work. So
1: the one scene that they cut was another train scene where apparently Tony Curtis's Josephine changes bunks with Sugar mm. and Jack Lemmon's character Daphne, not, mm. not Geraldine, mm, right? <laughs> mistakenly goes there to try and talk to Sugar, I guess, about that he's a man, right? And keeps pushing Tony Curtis's face down while he's trying to explain who it is. And he's oh. trying. He's also trying to tell Sugar that he's a man. It's so it, that almost was the most awkward part. And I think it's a good thing they cut that.
0: Maybe, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, either way, yeah. Th- this is a. Uh, this is tricky. You always cringe a little bit when you look at any movie from the fifties that deals with gender dynamics. Yeah. Um, I think it works here because the two guys are always the butt of the joke. Like, I don't feel like this movie is making fun of women or making fun of cross dressers. Even it's making fun of these two very inept men. And the humor comes from the fact that they are very bad women. And, and, there's yeah. no, they like they should not be convincing anybody, and it's funny that they keep convincing people no, that they're I, women. I,
1: I was actually when I was rewatching it last night, I was thinking about that because I knew that you know that's something that we talk about a lot now, uh, more so than before. And when they're on the train and they are playing with the band for the first time, mm. and they seem a little out of sync with the rest of the band, and Sweet Sue stops everything. Yeah, and she says. You need to liven it up, like let loose. Like were you were you nuns before? And I kind of like that. The women in this movie are portrayed to be independent, yeah, and self sufficient, and goofy and obscene a Body, little bit. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god, I love the jokes. Did you hear about I the think, jockey
0: with the one leg?
1: Yeah. I think I relate to her as like that that's who I would cast myself as is that character. Okay, <laughs> yeah. alright, that's fair.
0: Can you play a trombone? Are you a tromboner?
1: No, I played a trumpet and I hated it. Okay, alright.
0: So, yeah. maybe you'll maybe you'll like a trombone. I think your problem is that you have long arms.
1: No, and it has the trumpet something was to do, do with the way it looks on fly. my lips.
0: Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's
1: not get further into that. Alright, I'm going to
0: dig up Nicole's trumpet because I want to see what no, this does. I don't no, know. No. I think this is going to be funny. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about the production of this movie because it is very complicated. So, All those people out there writing BuzzFeed articles right now about movies you didn't know were remakes. Guess what? I'm going to give you a free (gasps) Ah, tidbit. Add this this. to the roster. This is actually the remake of a remake. Uh, There was a 19, it's a, the original film was called Fanfare of Love. It was a French film from 1935. This was remade 1951 in Germany and then remade again with this. It was remade once more after this in 1964 in Turkey. Uh so you they know. also
1: made some musicals based on this, I heard. Oh, did they? they? That were like somewhat inferior and by somewhat in, they They're were completely inferior. Yeah, yeah I'm but sure. The fact that are. we don't know about them is already Yeah, the fact <laughs> that they closed
0: already probably hasn't uh, uh yeah. bode very well. But uh yeah, Jack Lemon and Tony Curtis, they were still fairly untested as leads when they were cast. Uh the studio was pushing for Frank Sinatra, Danny Kaye or Jerry Lewis to take on the uh the Jack Lemon role. Jerry Lewis was actually cast at one point and decided he wasn't very comfortable with the uh, cross-dressing. But uh, the story goes that after Jack Lemmon was cast, he got an Oscar nomination for this movie for Best Supporting Actor. And apparently for years afterwards, Jack Lemmon would send Jerry Lewis a box of chocolates every year to thank him for giving up the role. (laughs) Uh, I should also mention right here, Jack Lemmon is my favorite actor of all time. I love him so much, and he's such a class act and just like a really funny, unique, interesting guy who could kind of do everything. And I think this is one of his best roles ever.
1: Oh, I think he's great in this. Yeah. I, he's, he just completely lets loose and yeah. like leans into that character so much. It's, I love it. He's probably the best part to watch in the whole movie.
0: Tony Curtis was talking about like his, uh, their their vocal choices that they made. You know how yeah. Daphne doesn't really sound convincingly like a woman and, uh, but Josephine is using this high falsetto. And he said it was because he, Tony Curtis, felt uh, yeah like super out uncomfortable. Of, he out, out, oh. uncomfortable he felt out uncomfortable he felt out of his element whereas jack lemon just kind of like fell into it and he 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 did this voice because he was so comfortable in his part that like it came across as kind of mannish but it's still he still sold it you know yeah, he's got apparently this girlish he, giggle he like and, skip
1: around the studio when they when they first got their makeup on yeah they went down to the women's restroom and they were putting their makeup on front of the <laughs> mirror and none of the women said anything. And they're like, okay, it's, it's going to work. We're going to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> perfect. Yeah. I mean, apparently the makeup that they had in this, this movie was originally supposed to be in color. Well, that's what
1: Marilyn Monroe's contract. That's demanded. right. She yeah. had a contract.
0: She had to be shot in color. But uh, Billy Wilder showed her some of the dailies of what the makeup looked like on the men. Apparently they had that very greenish hue. I've yeah. seen it referred to multiple times as ghoulish. And so Marilyn uh, agreed to be in black and white.
1: The other excuse was that, well, it's a period piece. let us It's supposed to be set in the 1920s. Let's make it feel like it's more of the 1920s. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, this was supposed to be a much smaller scale production. There was going to be kind of a, a low budget launching point for these two actors, like to to kind of get their leading man credentials. Uh, so the staff was, they never really approached Marilyn Monroe for this part because they always assumed she wouldn't do it. They assumed it was too low of a part. But she she had worked together with Wilder in uh, The Seven Year Itch. She's wanted to work with him again, and she really loved the idea of this role. It was already cast with a blonde bombshell by the name of Mitzi Gaynor, who was uh, kind of set up to play the role. And she kind of stayed on the sidelines, kind of waiting for something to happen in case she needed (laughs) to jump back into the part. Okay. But Marilyn wanted to do the part, and this kind of – because they now had a star attached – it helped Wilder sell Jack lemon, lemon in the yeah. part because they really wanted Frank Sinatra for a while. They were really, really, uh,
1: I think it was Tony to Curtis that also really wanted Jack lemon on the production as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: absolutely. And yeah, he was still kind of an up and coming supporting actor, but, yeah, uh, he and, uh, Wilder would work together several times after this, like half a dozen more times and they'd get an Oscar together. So yeah, it kind of raised the profile significantly when Monroe, uh, appeared on the, in the film. Unfortunately, her onset behavior caused a lot of conflict with the cast and with the crew. So, the thing about Marilyn Monroe, she she isn't she doesn't have a reputation for being. She's not like a Betty Davis, you know. She's not like cruel or or egotistical or anything like that. What she was was very very delicate. She was very yes. insecure. And at this point in her life, she was Probably also
1: would have some kind of diagnosis that went un. Diagnosed, yeah, back then. Um, and she had just suffered a miscarriage,
0: she had just suffered a mi- one of many, one of yeah. many, sadly. And uh, you know, she, I, you, the world doesn't need me to tell you about Marilyn Monroe, most people know, but you know, if you know anything about her, it's that she has a very, very tragic life. You know, her, her childhood was really rough. She, her mother was committed to uh, an insane asylum when she was a child, she was sent to various foster homes, she was the subject of sexual abuse from several different people, you know, so she had a hard time of it. By the time she was shooting this movie, she was pretty dependent on barbiturates. uh, And so a lot of the time she would show up to her scenes confused. Um, She didn't know her lines. Uh, She would get flustered. She would get very insecure around the other actors because she felt like they all hated her.
1: She had a couple nervous tics that they mentioned a lot in the special. And I think the most well-known thing with marilyn monroe in the movie is that it took 84 i want to say 84 takes to do the knocking on the door it's me sugar
0: it was something like that it was that scene she she kept getting the words mixed up and there's another scene where she comes in and she's supposed to say, where's the bourbon that's my part oh yeah there you go where's the alcohol i don't think you'd forget that line though no i wouldn't no
1: no but they taped it inside every single drawer So that as she's looking for the alcohol, she would remember what it was supposed to be that she was saying.
0: What happened was, like, she kept coming in, messing up the lines. So Billy Wilder taped that note in the bottom of the drawer she was supposed to open. And then she opened the wrong drawer. So they put it in all of them. And at at the same time, uh, Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon are walking around in these very uncomfortable heels. uh, And Tony Curtis in particular is getting frustrated because he feels like, His takes, 30 takes down, are getting worse and worse just trying to wait for her to get it right.
1: And they pretty much just picked whatever she did right, they picked it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and but I then, will
1: have to say, I think probably some of those scenes would have been okay. Um, from what I hear, Billy Wilder was very particular about how things were done. He so, he
0: was very slavish to the written word. Yes. He cared very much about the script being read word perfect, and uh, the timing was very particular. So she for him. would say
1: something like, "Where's the whiskey?" or "Where's mm. the booze?" and th- they'd have to do it over again.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. which uh, some of that, you know. Some directors might have let it go, just let it say, "Okay, yeah. where's the booze?" Where that's probably a good enough line. I mean, if Some, if it's me, yeah. I'm thinking that's a good enough line. But she really, he really wanted, "Where's the bourbon?"
1: Yeah, and that oh. and that's fine. And I think it's probably they both aggravated each other, and yeah. it didn't help.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, famously, uh, Billy Wilder was interviewed after this movie and asked if he would ever work with Marilyn again, and he said, uh, "My psychiatrist tells me I'm too old and too, too rich. rich to put myself through that again." Yeah. However, he did come around on her performance like he did. She wasn't invited to the wrap party. Yeah. She was snubbed from that, which really, really devastated her. I
1: mean, I think that's just really petty. That is very petty. I get it. I do. But that's.
0: But the the production went half a million dollars over budget. It got so many delays because sometimes she just would show up to the set three, four, five hours late because she was too nervous to come out of her room. This was kind of she she also had uh, her husband, Arthur Miller, and her acting coach, Paula Strasberg. They were on set all the time and they kept trying to give Billy Wilder notes, yeah. which don't <laughs> do that. Don't give a director notes. Uh, yeah. so yeah, it, it, it was, it was a challenging work performance. And then her relationship with Tony Curtis was pretty strained as well. The two of them had dated in 1949 for a little bit. And this was kind of a reunion for them. And they, uh, so the, the, the story for a long time was just, just that they hated each other. Uh, Tony Curtis was once interviewed. They asked what it was like kissing Marilyn Monroe. He said oh, it was like yeah. kissing Hitler, yeah. uh, which, which he later kind of retconned. And he said like he meant that to be dismissive and sarcastic because he was tired of hearing that question.
1: He's also been quoted to say that he didn't
0: say it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think you have to kind of take everything he says with a grain of salt. Oh, yeah. The same goes for a biography he wrote uh, in nine, when he was 84 years old. Where he alleged that he and Marilyn had a love affair during the making of this movie, and that she actually became pregnant with his child, oh, which she later lost. And at this time, she was married to Miller; he was married to Janet Lee. So, but it, I think it's hard to say. It's hard okay. to say again. It's one of those things like you have his word against a woman who's been dead for fifty years. You know, it's it's uh, difficult to confirm any of that. Yeah. But from apparently the only person on the set that she did get along with was Jack Levin. He yeah. was the only one who kind of showed her some decency and understood that this was coming from a place of insecurity and not a place of petty. Even or even Diva in interviews behavior. when he's
1: trying to describe what it was like to work with her, he's very careful about how he says it and what he says. Like he's honest that it was difficult, but he always is very defensive of the whole situation.
0: Yeah, of course. And yeah. And the thing is like if if you ever want to show somebody a movie that really demonstrates why Marilyn Monroe was such a big deal, you show them this movie, I think, I think. I think that's – that thing, whatever it is, that little spark that she had that made her so special is just on full display here. You cannot take your eyes off of her. And it's not – it's never an issue of her being the most talented person in the room. I think – were she alive she would tell you that she has a limited range you know she's yeah. not the best singer she's not the best actor she's not the best dancer but there was something so uniquely her about her so so uh utterly distinct it's really hard to put into words but this I think movie illustrates Billy, it Billy
1: Wilder tried to explain it as and I'm going to probably butcher this but something to do with she had a very good understanding of the jokes mm-hmm. and the timing and I think the intonation on how she said things, and so that to him seemed to be like a really big part of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think what she really brings to this role is, that that sells it and kind of puts it over the top is uh, an earnestness. Like, yeah. she she admits that in, that she's not the, the brightest. Like in this movie, she says, "No, I'm just dumb." Like she's very comfortable with her level of intelligence. But there's something so open hearted and sweet and kind about her. You
1: mean even the part where they get out of the water and she tells um, Daphne that she really appreciates how flat chested she is because <laughs> clothes just hang better on da- Daphne.
0: Sure. And yeah. her
1: boobs just get in the way. They
0: just they're, they're just <laughs> bumping into stuff all day long. I don't know. Yeah. But but yeah, I can and- confirm
1: that does happen. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, I,
1: oh my god they're just so in the way all the time i've had to stop putting up <laughs>
0: vases around my house let me just say that she keeps bumping into them No, it's all just
1: thing. as bad as cats <laughs>
0: just, just, her boobs are like cats She's there's like, something oh,
1: on the edge sh- bam
0: <laughs> <laughs> damn it down titty down <laughs> oh god no <laughs> <laughs> sorry
1: <laughs> oh we need to come up with some like really great like B movie about the killer boobs. <laughs>
0: Attack of the killer bees. And they
1: have and they have to be still attached to somebody. They cannot come off.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they have to be size Bs for that pun to work. Yeah. But I don't know sure. if anybody's going to evaluate that. Either way. A <laughs> little bit of trivia about this movie before we discuss the plot a bit. Okay. Uh, so uh, to help uh, Curtis and Lemon kind of settle into their roles, Wilder hired a famous female impersonator, uh, a French performance artist named Barbette, who came in and taught them... Uh, I think he was a cabaret dancer too. Cabaret dancer, tightrope walker, very interesting person. Uh, But Jack Lemmon, after a few lessons, he decided to uh, stop going to these because he wanted Daphne to move like a man acting like a woman. He didn't want her to move like a woman, uh, which I think might be the right call. makes sense, yeah. But I'm very interested in the person, uh, Barbette. I'm I'm curious because they're kind of a pioneer of drag as a performance artist. So that's kind of an interesting person.
1: Yeah, that'd be good Um, to look more into.
0: This movie was banned in Kansas for its depiction of cross-dressing. <laughs> uh, Kansans do not gotten into cross-dressing, I guess. I don't know if that's still the case. If you're listening in Kansas and you're into cross-dressing, please write me and correct that. Uh, George Raft, who plays Spats Columbo, uh, he was a former dancer, and so he taught Jack Lemmon and Joe E. Brown how to tango. So the, all the tangoing uh... they're doing in this movie was taught to them by George Raft. Uh, I love a good alternate title. The Russian title of this movie is In Jazz, There Are Only Girls. Yeah. I like that title. I don't know. Uh, And this is number 14 on the AFI's list of the best movies ever made. a Very high ranking. And it scored number one on their list of the funniest movies ever made. So good for this movie. And one last thing. This one kind of blew my mind a little bit. Nahemia Persoff. He plays Little Bonaparte, who's the gangster who kills spats in the end. He's still with us. He's 101 years old. Oh, is he the
1: one with the really husky voice? And the
0: hearing aid? Yes. Yeah. and
1: It was hard for me to realize that that was a hearing aid. That was an
0: early 1920s hearing aid. Yeah. Do you know how else you know him? How do I know him? As the voice of Papa Mouskovitz in An American (gasps) Tale. I haven't watched that in so long.
1: I need to listen to that song. It always makes me cry. That
0: blew my mind. And also, yeah, uh, Pershoff's still with us at 101, knock on wood. (gasps) Hope Hope he's doing well.
1: Him and Betty White.
0: Dim and Betty White, May They Never Die. Yeah. All right, let's dig into this movie a bit. So this opens in Chicago during Prohibition, and uh, we get this great scene where we see the police getting ready to raid what looks like a funeral home, only to see that it's like our super rad speakeasy, and I always wanted to be an actual speakeasy. I've never been to a real one. Can Uh, we turn
1: your basement into one?
0: I don't see why not, but we need to have some kind of swinging door. We also have to
1: have something that's illegal.
0: Yeah, what's illegal anymore? Okay, it's a cocaine speakeasy.
1: Drugs. Yeah,
0: it's just all cocaine, <laughs> or we're just gonna have a bunch of mattresses that we tear the tags off.
1: You know that that whitewash on your walls? Mm-hmm. Just start chipping it off. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody walks in, you know, like instead of coffee, cause yeah. it, in this one, it's the speakeasy has coffee. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's not yeah. alcohol. We have. Uh, bur- paint know. chips
0: well we're we're the painters we're here to uh, yeah, here, we're would renovate you, would
1: you like some paint scrape, scrape, to scrape. sniff <laughs> which is also not a good thing <laughs> yeah yeah
0: i don't want any cocaine in my paint.
1: anyway back to the speakeasy there's yeah. a raid
0: and this is where we get to meet uh uh jerry and joe so they are uh musicians playing with the band at the speakeasy uh jerry plays the bow fiddle or the bass and uh Joe is a tenor sax player, which comes into uh, it, well, it works to his benefit later. We'll say, uh, so the place is raided. Joe and Jerry are able to escape, and this is where we kind of learn that they're, they're. I mean, they're not villains, but they're kind of like low lives, bower to a money. degree. Bower.
1: They borrow money. They Borrow money from everyone. Yeah,
0: they, yeah. They're. And, uh, They've always got some kind of scam going, especially Joe. He's kind of a ladies man because, you know, he's, you know, Tony Curtis, he's a pretty man, you know, and he's very smooth with the ladies and that tends to get them in trouble. They uh, wind up getting into some more trouble when they witness a murder when they were on their way to go get a new gig. They witness uh, uh, Toothpick Charlie and a bunch of other gangsters being executed for snitching on the uh, speakeasy in the beginning mm-hmm. by Spats Columbo, who is our main antagonist Which is here. supposed
1: to be reminiscent of the St. Valentine's Day massacre.
0: Exactly, yeah, right around that time. So yeah. they are the only witnesses. They manage to escape, uh, and in order to escape the mob, they need to get all the way out of Chicago, and they do so by joining an all-girls band going down to Miami. And the only way to do that is to dress in a secondhand wig and uh, overcoat and try and pass themselves off as women.
1: Actually, where did they get the money to do that? I don't know. I just thought about that because originally they were going to take a woman's car or borrow, Mm -hmm. (laughs) lots of borrowing, a woman's car so that they could go to some one-night gig out of town. Right. And that's when they witnessed the massacre. And then so then they run away, and the next thing you know, they have, you know, what it looked like, relatively expensive dresses and wigs. Yeah. Not that it needs to be explained, I'm just saying.
0: It doesn't necessarily. Maybe they went back to uh, Dolores or whoever it was they were borrowing the car from and borrowed some stuff from her. Either way, like, I (laughs) I really like the pacing in this scene because I think Wilder does a really good job of showing – that, that Chicago is just not safe for them anywhere. Like, the yeah. cops are coming when they're trying to get away. Like, they have to keep ducking and ducking and ducking and just kind of barely scraping by at the edge of their teeth. So you can see why they would be desperate enough to try this. Like, it's a far-fetched comedic uh, uh, concept, but you could it, they motivate it well, I think.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's definitely enough motivation behind what they're doing and why they're doing it
0: and to be clear like for a lot of movies on the show i've kind of been trying to look at the subtext or some of the deeper meaning and i don't think that this movie necessarily has that i don't think this movie lends itself to a deep dive analysis i think what it is is just an exceptionally well-crafted piece of entertainment except
1: the last line
0: except the last line yeah the last (laughs) line a little subversive a little amazing uh, but but yeah, I, I don't think this movie has a whole lot else on its mind other than the story and just being an exceptional delivery of jokes and music. Yeah. And and just wonderful performances. So we also get the impression that Jerry, like, well, Joe's a bit of a womanizer, but Jerry's a bit woman crazy. And yeah. he's, <laughs> he's threatening to blow his cover, like, pretty much immediately, pretty much the moment he sees the band. And I love his line when he sees Marilyn for the first time as Sugar Cane. Says like, uh, look at the way she moves. It's like a jello on springs. It's like it looks like she's being worked with motors. Like, I don't know. It's like it's. I like a creative ogling. If you're gonna ogle somebody in a movie, at least be creative about well, it. Instead, of I would wolf say whistles, I
1: guess. it's his character's interesting because yes, he seems a little woman crazy, and so he surrounds himself with the band all the time. It's like the the bunk scene. Yeah, yeah. With with thir- there were thirteen women in that bunk.
0: It's so and- claustrophobic. It's just like. <laughs> he's like literally drowning in beautiful women. Like he almost can't breathe. And it's just like the temptation is overwhelming. But like
1: he always like Josephine kind of is trying to be careful and Mm -hmm. trying to stay in character, but away from everybody. Whereas Daphne is constantly surrounding himself, herself with the band. Yeah. Uh, When they get to the beach that he goes out and plays in the water with them, plays ball, um, he also giggles like a girl the most often. I love often. the
0: giggles. Oh, my and, God. And,
1: and I think he leans into being a girl more than you think because as soon as they get to the train and they're giving their names, they had originally agreed on Geraldine and Josephine to yeah. kind of match their names. And he walks up and he goes, and I'm Daphne.
0: He wants a prettier name. Yeah, yeah he does. He, he wants something he totally goes for it. He wants something more feminine and more like uh, to, to distinguish himself a little bit better, which yeah. is... A great little touch. And it's a good way to show early on that he might be pretty comfortable with this, you yeah. know, like for whatever reason, he might be pretty comfortable. Uh, and I also wonder how uh, Sugar didn't see up his nightdress when he's hanging upside down trying to steal the booze. Oh, uh, I mean, I didn't bunk. look.
1: Was his nightdress gaping? Oh, I she was like tell. Hold,
0: she was like holding him by his feet. Like, she must oh, have been that able to part see when he was
1: leaning over. OK, yeah, yeah.
0: So there, there's a lot of suspension of disbelief. I, mean,
1: I don't look up women's night dresses when I'm holding them over.
0: Do you do that a lot? You hold you hold people upside down a lot when they're wearing nightcaps. I played counts?
1: rugby in college.
0: That doesn't answer that question. It means I hung
1: out with a lot of really rowdy people, and we <laughs> spent like nights in hotel rooms with like fifteen people because you know it's cheaper that way. Sure. So there was lots of women and lots of men leaning over things and doing crazy things. And I don't always try to look at their private parts. <laughs>
0: you, don't, you don't always try, but you don't always not try. It depends
1: on the situation. It depends
0: on the situation. Well, Sugar, way. Sugar
1: trusted Daphne. It's not like she's going to be like, oh, what's under there?
0: Yeah. And <laughs> you have to kind of love Sugar the moment you meet her. Like she's, she's sneaking a drink in the back room and she's just so like, Bright-eyed and and inviting and warm and kind of open with details and everything like that. It's just it's hard not to like her right away, you know. And she she attaches herself to Josephine and Daphne, you know. And Josephine is presenting herself as much more demure so that she can kind of hide away. But Daphne's like rowdy. She wants to be one of the girls, you know. Yeah,
1: I love it. And at first,
0: I mean, you kind of wonder like. He, I, I think uh, Jerry's character, his sexuality is a little bit on a spectrum, you know, because he's definitely very, very excited about all these girls, but he's also very excited about the concept of getting to be one of the girls. Like, yeah. Like having all these friends to giggle with and drink with and everything like that. So, and then I think
1: that maybe plays into towards the end of the movie as well with Osgood.
0: Yeah. And this is part of a, a long tradition of mo- like drag movies where the act of stepping into the persona of another person gives you more perspective and makes you a better person. You know, this happens in Tootsie and and a bunch of Uh. other different movies like that, bosom buddies, all that that show, you know, it's kind of a recurring theme and I think it's done very well here. Uh, So anyway, the, the train makes it down to Miami where they are going to be playing their gig And uh, all the girls are excited because this place is resplendent with elderly millionaires looking for a wife. And this is demonstrated with a really great shot of like 12 or 15 ancient men in rocking chairs kind of rocking in sync. And at the head of them is Osgood, played by Joey Brown in one of the funniest supporting performances of all time. Like he is so, so, so funny. He's just this like diminutive, like kind of pug looking guy. He had a
1: very malleable looking face.
0: Yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. I don't know. He He's just got a very distinctive kind of granity looking face. And he's so small and so energetic, it's almost hard to tell how old he is. Uh, but he immediately gloms on to Daphne, Jack Lemon, and he's like following her around. We get the great exchange in the elevator where he's like, I uh, was like, oh, uh, you're some kind of girl. He's like, want to bet? <laughs> and then, <laughs> then gives a big old laugh like – it's uh it's really great and he and Lemon bounce off each other so perfectly. Yeah. Uh it's he's so good in this movie. But yeah, so the the girls are all kind of angling for a rich millionaire and Joe being a shameless womanizer and kind of a scammer, he kind of sees an opportunity to get in with sugar. And so he switches costumes to become the persona of uh, I don't think they ever give his junior. name. This it's Junior. He's called Shell Oil Junior. Yeah. Uh, and he he's doing Cary a Grant. Cary Grant impression, <laughs> like a really bad Cary Grant impression that's hilarious. And, uh, you know, so he kind of contrives to meet Sugar and pass himself off as this millionaire. He invites her out to his yacht and everything like that, even though he doesn't have a yacht.
1: He uses Osgoods because Osgood is still uh, going after Daphne.
0: Zowie, zowie. <laughs> uh, it's great. I love Lemon trying to... Uh, like chide him while still staying in character, you know, just trying to encourage him. It's like, no, 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 no. You have to stop doing this. Like them yeah. running back to the hotel to try and beat him there. And only he sneaks in the <laughs> window and like gets in the tub in his full clothes. Like,
1: Oh, the scene where he gets out of the tub in his suit, fully drenched and how angry he looks. Daphne <laughs> he looks really is insane. just like, uh, Jack Lemon's <sighs> character just stands back and walks, you know, like kind of walks away and I wouldn't blame him.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, I, you look so scared. I kept thinking of that as like, if I did this as a Halloween costume, would anybody get it? Like full face of makeup, a bad wig, and then a wet sailor costume with bubbles all over it. I don't think anyone would get it.
1: I think you'd be really uncomfortable, Steve.
0: I'd probably be really uncomfortable, but it was, it's just a funny visual. It's just a really striking yeah. vision for somebody to look so angry and serious coming out looking like that.
1: I mean, I, I was scared of him. It was inspired. <laughs> it was
0: really inspired. Yeah. Like, uh... So yeah, I just love that shot and I love that. So uh, we get some great musical performances in this too. Like this isn't strictly a musical, no. but it is a movie that has a couple of musical breaks and really lets Marilyn kind of uh, show what she can do. And again, she is not like a virtuoso. She's not you know going to be headlining the opera anytime soon, but her voice is distinctive and fun and energetic. And these songs are all great. I loved Running Wild um, I want to be loved by you is an iconic number. I'm through with love is an iconic number. Like lots of really good music from in this movie.
1: I, I tend to forget the music, honestly. Um, Running Wild will get stuck in my head, but it's such a short bit in the movie. Yeah. That all you really get is just that one kind of like chorus feeling over and over again.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. 100%. I do want to talk too about the costume that she wears in the I want to be loved by you number because you can sense Wilder having fun with the sensors a little bit here or having fun with people who might be offended by her outfit. This is the one where, like, it's it's basically almost pasties instead of, like, a, a cleavage line, you know? It's like she's wearing sheer material that's yeah. holding it in place, but the neckline is very, very plunging, and like you said, she's not wearing a bra or anything like that. And so in this scene, he highlights her face with a spotlight, and somehow it's both obscuring the rest of her body and bringing attention to the fact that she's got such a revealing neckline. I guess
1: I never really paid attention to that.
0: Oh well, now I feel like a perv. But I mean, I'm just thinking like <laughs> I'm just thinking like the the costumes, the costume design here, and his choice to light it that way. Okay, it's it's sexy and it's also just a fun way to kind of say like, all right, all right, look, I'm not doing anything wrong. Like she's obscured in shadow. I don't know what you're talking about. We can't shoot this any other way. You know, so I, I think that's just them kind of getting away with something a little bit. Well, with a lot And of they also nudity. had a lot
1: of like sparkly aspects to her costumes too, which were really fun. Like all the little like, what look like probably diamond plastic bits that yeah. make them kind of sparkle whenever she moves. Those are really fun. I remember that part.
0: Yeah. Oh no, and she just yeah. glitters and gleams everywhere. Uh, so Shell Oil Jr. convinces her to come out onto Osgood's yacht uh, in ex- and Daphne in exchange for letting him use the yacht is keeping Osgood occupied and their tango scene is so funny especially when it's contrasted with what's going on on the boat because the scene between uh, uh Tony Curtis and Marilyn Monroe where he's trying to in- convince her that he doesn't feel any romantic interest towards women and so she has to keep yeah. kissing him until he feels I would better. say maybe
1: that's the most uncomfortable part because like it's he's that's really tricking somebody into like that sexuality. Uh, that's he's probably the a, only, yeah.
0: yeah. He's being manipulative, he's being a cad, but it's also like there's a hot and heavy scene going on here. Yeah. And then we cut that with Daphne with a very begrudging look on her face as she's dancing with Osgood, who is really into it. But then the rose. more. The more we cut back and forth between them, the more Daphne is into it and genuinely enjoying spending time and dancing with this man (laughs) to the point that like when he gets back to the hotel room, he's actually fantasizing about Osgood and about the life they could have together. And I, I actually really like the execution of this scene, okay? because They added
1: the maracas. They weren't part of it originally.
0: Right. They had to add the ah. maracas because people were laughing through important dialogue. So they needed to kind of add a a little break in between. But uh, the scene with Curtis trying to kind of snap him out of it for whatever reason, I don't know. Some of the language choices are like telling, like a little sneaky. Like he he's... He's telling him, "Yeah, okay, you 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 can't get married, you know, because you're both men, which would have been illegal at this time." But he's not saying. Uh, th- I, I wrote down the line. He doesn't say, um, uh, "Like this is wrong." He doesn't say it
1: specifically like that. He, he just says, says
0: it's not being done, and he doesn't even say it's not done. He's saying it's not being done, okay. meaning it's something that people don't do right now. But he's not saying this is wrong. This makes you a monster. This you have to snap out of it. You're a man. He is saying that but at the same yeah, time he says, like
1: Say you're a boy. I'm a boy. I'm a boy. I'm a boy.
0: And maybe I'm just like kind yeah. of looking for pearls here. Maybe I'm just kind of wanting to believe the best a little bit. But it feels like it feels like they're getting away with being as open-minded as they could. For I the do age. agree with
1: that. I don't feel like they were ever making it feel like anti-homosexual. No. Um no. I think it was just hey, you do realize you're in the middle of kind of a scam. Yeah. And at some point, the scam's going to be gone.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he's kind of, uh, you know, at at this point, he's just become very comfortable being Daphne. He likes himself as Daphne, and he likes getting to imagine himself living this life for whatever reason. Uh, And that reason actually comes crashing down on them when they have a meeting at the hotel of the, uh, what is it, the fans of uh, Italian Italian opera? Italian opera. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I do want to point out one of uh, one of his thugs in this movie is a guy named Harry Miller. You'll know the one I'm talking about. Is he a big nose him. guy? Buttermilk. Yeah. yeah, that guy. He. Uh, he well, was I thought a- it was
1: Mutter's Milk.
0: No, he said buttermilk. Yeah. Oh
1: darn it! See, and, uh, having a hard time with that.
0: That guy. Just a, a, as a note, he very proudly proclaimed himself the ugliest man in Hollywood.
1: Aww. He had
0: acromegaly, which is the same thing that um, or acromegaly, which is what Andre the Giant had. So he had some kind of mutations and, like, a uh, little Gross. bit of gigantism. okay. Yeah. So, and that's why his voice is like that, too. But he carved out a good career for himself, and he was very proud of his appearance, so good for him. Um, but he's so distinctive-looking and really funny. But so, so they're
1: having the, the this conference mm-hmm. for Italian opera lovers. And Which is
0: really, obviously, just a cover for a big meeting of all these different criminal enterprises.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, you get the impression that it is – An Italian mafia and that there's multiple chapters and they're all meeting because they bring to, you know, the conversation that South Side Chicago, which was Toothpick Charlie, North Side Chicago, like they all know who did it. Yeah. And they're not being, they're being blunt about it, which is you would expect from the mob, I guess. Yeah. Not that I know anything about anything sure
0: the you don't yeah don't yeah. worry there's not a wire you're not being recorded right now
1: i mean what's this thing in front of my face ah,
0: damn it damn it Guys, abort 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 <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah but there's a really great kind of out of the frying pan into the fire moment with the gangsters so uh they're spotted by spats and the gang and in order to get away they have to run and hide in the ballroom which is where the conference is happening and during this time Uh, Nahemia Persoff, who we talked about earlier playing little Bonaparte, he stages an assassination of spats and his men, a gangster pops out of a cake and wipes them all out. And with that, like you would think Joe and Jerry's problems are over, except they pop out from under the table at that moment. And now the, the old gangsters that were after them are gone, but now there's like 10 new gangster families that are after them now. So, uh, luckily the police come and intervene, but by
1: the way, side question. Yeah. Did you know what spats were when you first watched this movie?
0: I did i <gasps> I knew about it just from from something in elementary school. I remember a teacher like, I don't know I think they he he came in wearing spats at one point like okay. he wanted to show us what I think they spats were.
1: are adorable. and if I ever get married, I want my fiance to wear spats.
0: okay. why don't you wear the spats?
1: I mean I could but if spats? my dress is too long, nobody's gonna see it.
0: That's true. yeah, That's I true.
1: gotta show it off. The other thing is, I didn't know what Marcel, because Mar- in the what's her name in the beginning of the movie when they're trying to find a job, hmm. says that she was getting ready for her date and she was gonna she Marcelled her hair. Oh, what does that mean? Um, I think it was kind of like making it to where it didn't move at all. Oh, like
0: hairspray, or
1: I think it was more than hairspray. Okay, I looked it up once and I've promptly forgotten it. But it was definitely something that it's not done anymore in that capacity. I have,
0: I have to imagine like 1920s beauty regiments were punishing, right? Like it must have been some kind of toxic lead-based material you oh, have I'm to sure. put in your hair to look good <laughs> at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we we do get a nice little send-off where uh, he he tries to break things off with sugar by calling her, which leads to the very lovely uh, I'm Through With Love uh, uh, song
1: which he listens to. Which he
0: listens to, and there's kind of like a, a taboo moment where he comes up on stage dressed as Josephine, and locks lips with Sugar. Like, so it's yeah, it's a bit of a taboo moment, and uh,
1: there were he, some gasps. I remember that.
0: Yeah, and he's he's got a line. He says like, "Don't cry, honey. No man is worth it." Uh, which, which is a nice line. I mean, I don't know if I necessarily buy his redemptive arc like i don't know it could just be like he, i i think we don't get quite enough time with that relationship no, to see I why agree with you. Like, he would be so over the moon for her but but she is also a very special person so i could see it you know Yeah. um either way so this leads to them needing to escape from the mob and from the police and from everybody all routes are blocked and so the only way they can get out is by boat boat by getting on osgood's boat and getting on the yacht and sailing off into the sunset so uh, ev- all four of these main characters get great closing lines here because like uh, Curtis is coming clean. He's telling her, it's like, you don't need to do this. Like, yeah, I'm no good. I'm rotten. I was lying to you. I'm, I'm a the saxophone player. I'm a saxophone player. And and her line, which I really love and I don't think gets enough credit is go ahead. Keep talking. Talk me out of it. And then just like embraces him. Like, I love it. Like, yeah. And then, of course, we get the iconic exchange between Lemon and Joey Brown, uh, where he's trying to convince him not to marry him and every reason he says gets shot down. Oh, I smoke all the time. Oh, it's fine. Oh, I, I have a troubled past. I forgive you. I can't have children. He's like, nope, we'll, we'll adopt. We'll yeah, some. And just, he just
1: has this, like, not even looking back at Daphne slash Jack Lemmon, just looking straight ahead, driving the yeah, boat. Yeah. Just patting him away. just like, little smiles. He's just like, it's okay. He's it's
0: fine. He's perfectly happy to just have her here. And I'm finally, a man. Finally, he takes off the wig and says, come on, I'm a man. And without missing a beat. Nobody's perfect amazing Oh, it's okay. amazing amazing and they
1: almost didn't keep it
0: yeah this was a filler line this was uh they they were kind of putting that in place till they thought of something better yeah but they wind up loving it and now it's written on billy wilder's gravestone it and says, i think uh, that's yeah.
1: why if there's an ulterior movie m- motive to the movie that's nobody's perfect mm-hmm. so even though it's some, they're scumbags in yeah. the beginning they're still kind of scumbags at the end
0: but it's it's also <laughs> like again it's kind of subversive because it's revealing like I don't know. I I just love this line for so many. You can you could deconstruct this all day about why this is a perfect it's just joke. It's the way he says it. It pulls the rug out of the whole movie. Like this whole time we've been suspending our disbelief that these are the uh, the you know that everyone believes that these are women, and here's somebody who's known the entire time and just doesn't care. He he loves her for who she is as a person, and not, it in doesn't in the matter two what,
1: days that they've met,
0: which is like <laughs> kind of a progressive moment. Like it's almost done as like a it's yeah. a it's a. Well, I, I don't he talks think it's about a, how
1: mother will be thrilled and
0: I don't even think it's yeah. a mean spirited gag at all or anything no. like that. I don't think the joke is that he's gay. I don't, th- I think just the joke is that he's known all along. He doesn't care. So
1: he just wants a partner. I think, I mean, manages, he's talked about how many wives he's already had. He just, I think he's lonely. He's lonely.
0: He's and he's lonely. a, lonely. he's a weird uh, little guy with a lot of money and, and a lot of time on his hands. Yeah. And it just, it works so well. The reason it's, it's just one of the best closing lines of any movie ever. And, uh, Just so succinct, so perfect. And you really get, yeah, it it hits every time. I don't think, I've seen this movie like 10 times. I don't think I've ever not like genuinely belly laughed at that line. And it's so famous. I know it so well- and it still gets me every time. I don't know. I think it's great.
1: I do enjoy it a lot. It's I'd fantastic. say it's probably the last, like, that last 10, 20 seconds is still my favorite part of the whole movie.
0: It's one of those things, like, every once in a while you'll find, like, a movie where the final moment makes it worth watching the entire movie, and this is <laughs> one of those moments. It's like, it's, I mean, but every moment of the movie is is great. There's no real air in it, you know? For a two-hour movie, it, it feels incredibly crisp and efficient and funny. And, and it's
1: not slow.
0: Not slow at like, all. Like there's
1: something interesting in every scene.
0: Every, uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Everybody gets a moment to shine and, uh, it's all just incredibly well constructed and just such a funny, funny, uh, enjoyable movie. Yeah. I mean, you probably don't need me to tell you, but, uh, if you haven't seen some like it hot, definitely check out some like it hot. You know, it holds up today. It's every bit as funny as it ever was. And it is, it handles its topic with, uh, I'm not going to say sensitivity, but I'm going to say it's not as problematic as you might expect it to be. It's aged very well, um, which I'm always pleased to hear.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I agree with you. That's all.
0: That's Ta-da. all. That's all. Well, thank <laughs> you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Lindsay, so much for being here. We Thanks for having
1: video, me. Right? This is the first time I've had my own microphone
0: Yeah, and well, I can... haven't
1: had to go pee in the middle of it.
0: I have, and I've been peeing uh, <gasps> consistently throughout this entire conversation. Do you have a
1: catheter or a bag that I can't see?
0: Just free form, just free, just going. If on you had
1: ones. a skirt, this would be that moment. This, this is when is... I would start looking up to <laughs> see what's going on down there. You asked me how this. This would be it. This
0: is the situation that warrants it. <laughs>
1: have you peed yourself? Oh God, damn it!
0: That's the uh, that's the Rogers list choice. We pee ourselves in every episode of this podcast. That's what. That's really how much we care. We really, really care. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody for uh tuning in we are rogerslistpod at gmail.com we're also Roger's on Twitter and you can find us at Letterbox to see our rankings of the movies as well be sure to tune in next week for our Halloween week presentation of Dracula yes we are discussing Ooh. Dracula next week and I'm excited to get into it because uh you know these the sweet music You want to suck someone's make. blood? I do generally, you okay, know. So yeah. this will be a good opportunity for that. Well, thank you, everybody. Have a great night. And I, I still want some coffee. <laughs> Good night. Running wild, lost control. Running wild, mighty bold. Feeling gay, reckless too. Carefree mind all the time, never blue.
1: Always going, don't know where. Always showing, I don't care. I